0: The Hopes and Dreams podcast. The journey to parenthood isn't always easy. For many, fertility can be one of life's greatest challenges. And in this podcast, we'll be talking to people with all different types of journeys, including stories of loss and grief, but also, and most importantly, of strength and hope. We'll talk openly about different experiences to provide you with advice, support, and coping strategies, and hopefully, some comfort and to help you feel less alone. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Hopes and Dreams podcast. Today I'm joined by my friend Bex down the other end of the country in sunny Brighton and Hove. Bex is married to one of my best mates, Nick, and she's equally awesome and I really love them both. And we've got quite a lot to cover in this episode from PCOS to early miscarriage and then also IVF. And I'm sure Bex will be sharing lots of advice from her own experiences on these topics. Thanks so much, Bex, for coming on today.
1: No problem. It's really lovely to do it. And I just think that it's so amazing what you're doing here. And I think it's so important to talk around um, fertility issues and loss and all those really important things that I think um, people can be quite scared to talk about. And, um, I think that when we were going through our own journey, I, you know, podcasts were so important to me. So it's really lovely to um, pay it forward and kind of be involved in something as important as this.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right. It's just good to share experiences on things so that it can help people feel, feel less alone and isolated in, in, in whatever journey that they're on. And I know you and I have had lots of discussions in the past, although we've had different journeys um, it's towards the same goal so it's you know we've supported one another through through our own journeys and I think it might be good to start really where your journey began um, yeah. you had a you had a diagnosis of PCOS in your mid-20s is that right?
1: Yes um, so a long time ago um, so I was um, sort of diagnosed around um, the age of 26 and I say sort of because I went to the doctor and said, you know, I'm feeling a bit weird. Um, I'm putting a little bit of weight on. um, Noticed a few more hairs here and there. Um, I just don't feel quite right. So he said, right, well, it sounds like it could be something called PCOS, so let's do some blood tests. And some of those tests came back very positive, so in terms of, like, hormone elevation around testosterone, And then some of them came back kind of neutral. And he was like, well, it's sort of, I feel like you might have it, but the only way to really tell is if we do um, an ovarian scan. And um, as a 26-year-old, I wasn't overly um, fond of the idea of going for a wand internal examination at the time. So I sort of felt like, well, if I act like I have it, and then kind of if any issues crop up down the line, then I'll get the kind of the real diagnosis as and when. Um, and actually around the same time I was diagnosed with, um, quite severe abnormal cells on my cervix. So kind of independent of that had, um, an operation, the electrical leap excision on my cervix, which basically removed the whole thing. Um, so there's a lot going on in that kind of region anyway. Um, so I knew that something wasn't quite right. And so I knew that it was likely PCOS, um, but it kind of had other things front and center, if you will. Yeah.
0: So a lot a lot of things going on down there for you, which was like probably <laughs> yeah. a lot to lot to lot to lot to process and think about and then through this process of diagnosis and looking into into this were were you told would this cause any issues with trying for babies later on, or was that not really discussed?
1: Yeah, so the GP sort of mentioned it in passing. And um, I think most people when they're diagnosed with something, they'll go down the kind of the Google rabbit hole. And a lot of the conversation around it is around fertility. But I mean, truthfully, as a kind of a young girl, um, the issue for me or more around the cosmetic issues. So you know, the fact that it did make me put weight on and put kind of three dresses sizes on in a matter of months. And um, PCOS is such a, a kind of it's an issue with such a broad range of symptoms that can be so impactful and so different for each person so it you know as a syndrome it affects kind of one in five women but uh, broadly 50% of people with PCOS will end up obese or kind of struggling with weight issues. Um and it, it because of the elevated testosterone you have additional hair. So for me it was more in my twenties around the management of that. So really ramping up my threading schedule um and going for long runs and looking at my diet and trying to avoid dairy and gluten um as a means to take inflammation away. Um but again what you know, that naive outlook of youth, it was more around the cosmetics and how I looked. And, but I didn't sort of kind of take the directory stuff too seriously because I was still living the life in London we were a young couple together in London um with a really great social life so you know I didn't stop the booze or the sugar and stuff so um it it was definitely kind of more focused in that that region than babies it felt like that would be a bridge that we'd cross when we got to it
0: yeah and I think that's right about your 20s like you 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 don't think really you worry about getting pregnant not about being pregnant like because you you, you, it's not and that's what you say about the cosmetic side of things that you would be worried more about that than the long-term effects on on your fertility which is completely normal in your 20s and you guys were living a really busy and fast-paced London life so I guess family plans were on hold then really
1: Yeah. yeah they were um so I think that you have these kind of big milestones in your life that you save up for basically and we decided that before We got married we would um buy a house so we moved across from Balham to Broccoli we bought a flat and um then we got kind of we put the plans in for our wedding and it was interesting it was only after we moved away from Balham and kind of calmed down a bit and thought right well the wedding's booked we've got the house you know it wouldn't be a disaster if we got pregnant and so we thought you know um maybe we could have a baby before we got married and that would be a lovely story and the baby would be at the wedding and how lovely would that be. And, and it was all very um, kind of whimsical and very naive, um, assuming that, you know, the moment that we stopped being careful, it would happen. Um, and so we stopped, we, we did exactly that. We stopped being careful and we gave ourselves a window that said, right, I'll need six months, the other side of a baby to kind of get myself dressed ready for said wedding and um, so we just sort of kind of stopped being careful and around 2014 my period was late which was really really unusual for me so as I mentioned PCOS can affect people in lots of different ways and one of the most typical ways is really abnormal um cycles really painful periods and actually that side didn't impact me at all I've always been really regular quite kind of um the way that I phrased it to my doctor, quite civilized period. So not overly painful or heavy flows or what have you. Um, So to be late was weird for me. And um, I thought, right, okay, well, let's try and figure it out. And again, being naive and cavalier and young, just meant through a text out to my husband and said, could you grab a pregnancy test on your way home? Which he then did from our local um, corner shop. And it was the world's weirdest pregnancy test. And I think it had like four words of English on it. So we did it. And the test seems to be positive, um, from what we could decipher from the box. And I have to say, when I saw that, the blood just drained from my face. I was just it, it terrified me the notion. And I think that we both we both felt the same way. And so we said, right, okay, we're not quite sure what this means. So let's grow up a bit. Go and get a real pregnancy test from like Boots tomorrow. Um, but then when I woke up the next day, my period started and um, it felt very different to my regular periods. It was really heavy, really painful. And I kind of had to step away from work for a bit. And, and so to me, it felt like maybe I was, but something happened that meant that I no longer was. And that's when it started to kind of creep on me that um, we weren't ready. So, you know, there's an element of relief around, um, the panic that I'd felt when I saw that positive test. And so Nick felt the same way and said, right, okay, let's, let's get real here. Let's park it until after we are married. And that's what we did. And I sort of parked all those feelings, um, kind of deep. And I was just like, right, I will deal with this after we're married. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about that? Well,
0: I don't know if you thought it was a miscarriage or you, you well, you must have thought, oh well, I was pregnant. And how how did you feel about that whole process? Or was it as you say, you just felt relief that you weren't quite ready, ready at that time?
1: Yeah, um, it was an element of relief and fear and and pain. It was it was painful and I'd never really had painful periods before and um emotional. Um and, and to me it kind of that was when it started to feel like it might not be a straightforward journey for us. Um, Even though I I was head in the sand, like, you know, I just thought, right, when we're married, when it's official, when we're actually trying, that's when it'll be fine. That's when, you know, it will just happen. And really in that sense of denial, I think.
0: But I think that's sort of self-protection as well, because even after my many miscarriages, each time I got pregnant again, I was like, well, this time you know at this time it'll be all right it can't happen again it can't yeah so i i completely understand that that you you always have hope and one always needs that in life that's why the podcast is called the Hope and <laughs> jesus podcast because it's we have to have hope otherwise um it would be a very sad sad time so yeah. um and then you married i remember a yeah. very beautiful ceremony in december 2015 i think i was actually early stage pregnant with Millie and hadn't really told many people and then Chris decided to tell lots of people I'd never met before so I remember that well I was trying not to drink and um hide that but um so after that lovely wedding what happened after that in terms of your thoughts about family plans
1: yeah so that's when it sort of became official in our mind that we were trying and we were trying in earnest and um I think for the first few months that just meant not using protection being you know um just newlyweds, you know that lovely newlywed phase you know we've been together for a long time but it was actually kind of reinvigorating to have that um honeymoon period and um then kind of after a few months we started to get a bit more kind of timed about it so like right when my ovulation happened when might we need to start doing things um in a slight different way but it wasn't um there was no pressure around it really um in that first year and we um we planned our honeymoon um as a big kind of road trip across the states and it was kind of nine ten months after we got married and we wanted to save up for it we wanted to kind of plan and have another project in the pipeline so we did that and in the weeks leading up to um the honeymoon when we were about to fly out my period was late and so i thought hmm, well this hasn't happened for a while you know maybe this is um this is going to be the lovely story that we can go and enjoy our honeymoon um i can you know lots of people do it they'll have a glass of wine here and there and then discover they're pregnant so i was like right okay i'll go can have a glass of champagne on the plane or whatever um so i we went on the honeymoon it was really lovely um and a couple uh, 10 days 10 days into the honeymoon two weeks in um we got to Seattle and my period started and it it was it was awful it was the worst period of my life um like I had to send poor Nick out in the strange city to go and get me kind of provisions and painkillers and just ways to take care of me and um even though I knew that we hadn't taken a pregnancy test I knew that this wasn't right and it felt very much like it did Kind of those years previously, with the kind of the rogue period, if you will, and um, it in my mind, I was just really upset. I was just like, this, this must have been a pregnancy, and um, I didn't actually get a chance to leave the Seattle room because I was just in so much pain. So our entire stint in Seattle, I think, comprised of one trip to the market, one trip to the famous Starbucks, and then the hotel room. And um, it's funny because I sent Nick out, bless him, into this into this dark kind of city and he um came back with an assortment of things that the lady at the kind of chemist had given him and um kind of lavender things to help me out and then he brought uh incontinence pads as opposed to I was like, how lovely isn't this? Isn't this just the dark humour of the day? Um and yeah it's just that's when it hit me that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be straightforward for us and it would be a difficult path. So that's when that's when the kind of um, the realization happened. I think.
0: Yeah, and it, it's what well, like you said. These things always happen at like not that there's any good time for these things to happen, but at, at the worst time, you're on your bloody honeymoon, <laughs> and um, and and as you say, finding dark humor. And I've done the same with things that have happened, like me, my first miscarriage at a bloody boys to men concert. Like you, you Nick, Nick, knowing Nick so well, as I said, he's my dear friend. Like I just, I'm just imagine how like awkward and stressed he would have been in getting that your pregnancy test for you that had no English and then getting all these bits that he had no clue about what the difference is between incontinence pads and sanitary products and stuff and just like being completely um overwhelmed to, to know what to get but trying to do the right thing or oh. yeah. <laughs> just made me laugh um and then for what I guess Maybe a question to move on to now is the impact on both of your lives leading up to you making the decision that you would go for the IVF route. What, what happened for both of you in your, in your lives when you were still living in London and, and what changes did you have to make and how did it affect you both?
1: Yeah, so um, after that we took a real hard look at what we were doing and how we were doing it and I worked for um, a really toxic company and it was a really stressful job and so I quit that was the big thing that I changed almost immediately um you know Nick was really supportive and just said you know just I'll support you you just quit and then we'll figure out what we do and um so I quit and took some time out and then got a new job and and that was a big thing um but you know it's a reasonable amount of time before we made the IVF decision we still decided to just kind of crack on and um and that's when the differences between my experience and Nick, Nick's experience really kind of started to play out because it is very different for men and, men and women, you know. So I would have that kind of biological investment and the emotional fallout because when you find out that it's not successful, you're on your period, your emotions are in the toilet anyway. So it's a very kind of um, real feeling that it's not happened this time you start to live your life by periods it's very cyclical um, and it's difficult you see so many other people around you getting pregnant so easily um and the impact of that is twofold so one it's heartbreaking to see so many people fall pregnant so easily um you know just the the mere whiff of a penis and they're pregnant wonderful well done you and that's tough to cope with Um, but also the downstream impact as well on like the dynamics of a social group so you know as i mentioned Nick and I've got lots of friends and lots of friends who still lived in London at the time and um, and what it meant with more mothers being part of that group is that they would kind of like peel away from the nights out and so what used to be like group nights out became lads night out and so my kind of social life basically fell off a cliff and so I felt um, kind of isolated in a couple of respects. So I wasn't part of the mum club, but I wasn't part of the nights out club either. And so it felt like a lot of nights in by myself. And um, that was a definitely a point of resentment between me and Nick and points of arguments. And that's what we did. And we argued a lot in that time period around, you know, he was just living his life and he was really supportive. He's a great guy, you know. Um, but it would just be the case that he would say, I'm just going to go for a few drinks after work. Whereas for me, that was just so different to what was available to me and so different to what I was trying to achieve. And, um, I was really focusing as well on the kind of diet side of things, you know, followed a vegan, um, program, um, lots of supplements and trying to take sugar out, trying not to drink as well. But I did find that the impact on me was actually it forced me to look at my relationship with alcohol a bit so um one of the things that I did in the in the lead up to the IVF decision was um is change that relationship with alcohol and one of the ways I did that was a really great podcast and I can't remember the name of her um and I can't find it again but I just listened to it so almost every day around how to give up alcohol and how to change your relationship with alcohol because I felt like you know in my sorrow and loneliness I was drinking too much wine um so that that was a big change for me so that was a tough year
0: I think I think that's the thing it's so different from men and women and obviously women have the the physical side as well as the emotional and the mental that the the guys have but men seem to compartmentalize it better and I, I know Chris and I had the same sort of arguments that There were times when I just, I did suck it up a lot, a number of times and I went to things I definitely shouldn't have done looking back because it made me, you know, I put my dress on, put the makeup on, went, put a brave face on everything, smiled and no one would have known anything was wrong. And then I came back and would sob for an hour, two hours because putting a face on when I felt so sad wasn't easy and yeah. was quite exhausting and you're so happy as we've talked about in other episodes you're so happy for other people falling pregnant but when you get to points point where people are announcing their second babies and you haven't got your first you just get to put are like come on guys it's my turn I need to catch up and it's really hard not to be comparing and 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 then everyone around you seems like it's happening as you say a whiff of a penis like and and, and, it, and it's sort of happening and you and it just seems and, and that's really tough and it, it's yeah. hard on your relationship as well like to kind of support each other through that and not get irritated with each other um in your own feelings of what you're you know what you're going through
1: yeah absolutely and you know I remember a weekend away that we'd planned with um two of our really close friends and they'd both had their first and so they we had like two toddlers with us and um like, Two months before we were due to go, one of them um, announced that she was pregnant with a second. Lovely. And I remember at the time saying to Nick, oh, it would just be absolutely, um, you know, sods law that the other one will announce that she's pregnant before we get there. And then lo and behold, a couple of weeks before we were due to go away for the weekend, she announced she was pregnant too. So we went away, just me and Nick, two of our closest friends, um, couples, and both the other women pregnant loving being pregnant talking about being pregnant with their firstborns and that was probably one of the toughest weekends I've ever had in terms of putting the brave face on um and I think it's probably the most drunk I've ever got really you know the mums went to bed early and I stayed up with the dads and I outdrank them (laughs) you know I think um yeah it was it was tough
0: yeah, it, it is tough and it's hard to put and it's absolutely exhausting putting that face on all the time. And what I would say to people is don't force yourself. That was a different way What you were away thinking you're having a weekend away with your friends. But if you don't want to go to the baby shower or you don't want to go to a christening or something, don't <laughs> protect yeah. yourself because it's it's tough. And and people will understand if they're good friends, they'll, they'll understand.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so you got to this point where you were you were probably at the point where you were deciding to go down the IVF intervention, medical yeah. intervention route. How did, how did you get to that point?
1: Yeah, so um, relatively quickly, I guess, because we were a little bit older. So we were older when we got married and um, I felt we were really fortunate to have the option to go private. So I decided to take the NHS waiting lists out of the equation and we just went straight down the private road and we went to um, King's Hospital in Denmark Hill, 10 minutes down the road from where we lived in Brockley. And, um, it was, it was such a a great experience going to get that diagnostic test. I mean, great in one respect, but annoying in another. So we went and Nick and I went for the full consultation. You go for a morning and they just do the full MOT on both of you. And so they did the, um, the internal scan and the moment the wand went in, the consultant was just like, yeah, you've got polycystic ovaries and you could see that my ovaries were just peppered with cysts um but despite that you know a really great egg quality um I had loads of eggs um so they're like yeah you do you do have this but actually um it looks like you're ovulating and you know they kind of ruminated on the fact that it might have been almost overcrowding so so many follicles that they were jostling and it might not mean an egg could get um kind of kicked out Um, But there was nothing kind of materially wrong beyond that. And then with Nick, sperm count equally all good, Um, kind of in terms of number and strength of swimmers. And so we were diagnosed with um, unexplained infertility, which is super frustrating. Um, But they said that they felt that IVF would be a really strong chance of success for us. So that was their recommendation is not to waste time with any other protocols, but just to go straight for IVF, bells and whistles, get it done and so off the back of that we said right brilliant let's give ourselves like a three-month window like a last hurrah if you will before we jump in and we throw everything at IVF and I felt like we really needed that to basically reconnect after a year of um, kind of resentments and arguments and losing that connection and um, you know it's trying to have a baby really takes the fun out of sex and um I think it was really important to kind of look at that again and just enjoy being a couple so we did all the things that you do before you want to have a baby we went skiing um and got all the fun stuff out of the way and then we said right and then we'll start the protocol and that's what we did
0: it's that point about um because sex does become it becomes robotic, planned. Mm-hmm. You have got the crappy ovulation sticks, and you're just finding that window. And, and I love that you went away and had time to reconnect as a couple and have that time together and just have fun because mm-hmm. that's something that going through a, a difficult fertility journey generally in life, fun fun is something that just doesn't happen. It's just so consumed with the planning. And what you also touched upon, and as I know you so well, like and I'm the same, like, not being in control is h- so hard, like, mm. it's one thing you can't control getting pregnant, and you can't control keeping it, so, and that, that's tough, isn't it, and for someone, you, you like being in control just as much as, <laughs> as I do, like, maybe even a little bit more, but, so, <laughs> so, it, you know, how did you find that not being in control, and it doesn't surprise me that you went down a route to, to, to do things quickly, and, in a way to 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 get control back I suppose
1: yeah yeah absolutely um yeah you're so right and it's it's tough and especially when they give you that diagnosis of unexplained because if they'd have given me something to like a goal you know if if it was this that needed fixing then here's the action you know and um I think when you approach things like you know in your like for your degrees or your a-levels or you know you you sort out a plan and you study and then you get what you what you plan for you know yeah. with your career you want this job so you plan for it you network you you implement steps and you get the job you know and so I think that it's it's definitely it was definitely the toughest part was relinquishing that control piece for sure although it's so funny because that control then um in the year before the the tough year let's call it that that then came into play around the sex because you need so many things around. Well, you know, apparently there's a better sense of of conception if the lady comes first and then you're in this position and then you stay in this position afterwards. And so it became like military fashion. I was like, no, you must wait. This must happen. And um, that's not fun either. So I think it was really nice after we made that decision to take – the military protocol of <laughs> so bless Nick he managed to get a regular sex life back <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh dear um and maybe it might be good for people that are considering IVF or yeah who haven't been through it themselves yet is what explaining sort of what's involved in the whole process
1: yes so um I mean obviously I'm not a scientist and, and it, it's been a while but um the long and short of it is is that ivf is basically just an artificial way to boost what would happen naturally and so um everything around conception so it would be around boosting egg production um kind of the release of an egg fertilizing it thickening the lining of the womb popping the embryo back in and then kind of hormones like progesterone to support implantation and um kind of successful carrying of the baby so Um, the protocol depends on each individual situation and you'll go through like a diagnostic couple of weeks to track the lining of the womb all that all that stuff and the doctors felt that in terms of where I was um, that they were comfortable that I was ovulating um, and in quite a regular cycle and so the focus was around the egg harvest and boosting production there. So I took I started to take injections to boost egg production and then one injection, which is like times two within minutes to um, release the egg and then you go for the operation to have the eggs removed, um, which went really well. And so we managed to get 20 eggs, which was brilliant in that process. But that's where we had to really put a, a pause on the process because I developed something called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome OHSS it's basically where your ovaries just hulk out like they just went nuts they they looked like fists on the um the ultrasound and they it can be really dangerous so it can be fatal um it means that your ovaries kick out a lot of fluid the fluid can kind of migrate to your kidneys so it was a tough time to be told that you have to pause but I'm so glad that we did um it meant that I had time to kind of take a step back and and let my body calm down from the hormones and you know I think when they say it can be fatal that's obviously scary but also again going back to the cosmetic points one of the symptoms of OHSS is sudden extreme weight gain so i um, like 30 pounds like overnight so <laughs> I was just talking to Nick and I was just like well I'm just brilliant you know I don't know if you've ever seen the film The Naughty Professor where um Eddie Murphy puts on a ton of weight um in the film and I was just saying to Nick you know just keep an eye out for me just watch me Eddie Murphy out on my clothes <laughs> like so I was just <laughs> sat at my desk at work thinking brilliant is now the time when I'm just going to hulk out um thankfully that didn't happen that didn't um that particular side effect didn't happen but um it was pretty scary at that point but we got over it the um eggs were fertilized with Nick's an sperm and we got 11 embryos nine of which went to 5 day Um, cells and so after a couple of months of my ovaries calming down we did a frozen embryo transfer and um, again based on diagnostics of womb lining and all the kind of data around it um, the doctors said right well we think that you could go down a natural transfer so No hormones to either um, thicken the lining of the womb or to support. So no progesterone suppositories, which are typical after an embryo transfer. So it was a case of popping one in, see what happens. And they were, I mean, they were a bit glib. And I guess it was because we had eight available to us. And they said, you know, if it doesn't work, we can maybe pop two in next time. And then we'll think about a supported protocol. But we really, you know, I threw everything at it. And, um, you know, as I said, turned vegan, so many smoothies, no booze meditation twice a day um and podcasts you know at that point in time listening to podcasts one in particular called miracles happen by dr maria rothenberger was just a real life support for me and acupuncture um i i really leaned into acupuncture throughout my entire ivf journey and found it to be just incredible and i was, I, i was really skeptical about acupuncture before we had fertility issues but i still have it to this day i still believe in it and i think it's um it really supported me and we were successful. So the embryo that went in, you, um, you know, you're lying on a table and elevated. So whereas you're um, sedated for the egg removal, you are awake when they pop the embryo back in. So you're in this really alien looking room, you are elevated, as I say, middle of the room, you've got the consultant kind of eye level with your vagina. And then, um, an embryologist steps out of this space age door like sealed and it ices when he opens it and presents this tray. And then the tray is set next to the consultant. And then you can see the kind of the pipette needle that they kind of suck the embryo in. And then you can see it on the, um, the ultra sound and she's like, right here it is. And I'm popping it in and you can see it travel down the needle that is going through your cervix into your, um, into your womb which is a weird sensation um and that success it was um really emotional day and straight afterwards Nick and I had um basically like a two-week loving um we just really took that egg home and sat on it you know like a pair of chickens we would just it's not recommended to do that you know they say just go about your daily life don't worry about it just you know uh be healthy and but I just felt like I really wanted to to just lie down for a couple of weeks and we basically just did and um watched loads of films in bed and that two week period is is the toughest of all you know, having gone through the injections and the the different uh diagnostics and the many many wand examinations like the amount of times I'd gone into that hospital and had someone pop a wand up my vagina was um too many to count but that two week period of waiting was the toughest but yeah we were so fortunate so fortunate it worked
0: but I think you know that was taking control back as well because you were those those wonderful two weeks that you were you were wanting to give everything you could to make sure that 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 was successful and i understand that because you've been through so much to that point you just wanted to try and hold on to that yeah little bob and uh and the other thing you were saying about i completely agree in terms of how many people have been eye level and looking up up me is is far too many to mention and it becomes like I think you and I have discussed it before, like at the beginning it's slightly embarrassing, but then you get to the point where you say, like, oh well everyone's seen me like in the in, in the bed with stir in my legs in stirrups and yeah. everyone come and have a
1: look kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah.
0: you just get used to it. You become desensitized to it. Embarrassing.
1: Absolutely. And and also um I think what I've said to you before in the past, you know, when you're young, when you're in your 20s and you go for your first smear test, you know, there's a real level of care that for me went into presenting my vagina to the (laughs) medics. You know, it literally never looks so good, like cleanly waxed, amazing looking. And then at the end of it, towards the end of IVF, when so many people had been in and around, I was just like, here's the bush, bush, lads, you deal with it. (laughs) 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 it?"
0: Oh dear, I knew this podcast would include some uh, choice words, it's funny, it's good. Um, And as you said, first time, lucky, and you have the most amazing little girl, the complete ray of sunshine, I'm obsessed with her, she's lovely, Uh, Scarlett.
1: Yeah, so um, it's really weird, so (laughs) I say that that two week period was, was tough, but I felt like I knew it had worked. I knew it worked and I knew it was a girl. And people, it's like there's no way you knew, but I do I felt it. I was so so sure. And it was, you know, a textbook easy pregnancy. No real tiredness, no sickness, um, no kind of pregnancy related issues, but I didn't ever feel at ease. I always felt because of how long it had taken to get to that point and um there's so many stats around PCOS and miscarriage and because my BMI was elevated before I got pregnant a lot of the midwives were really concerned about me getting gestational diabetes and so I felt a bit of kind of judgment around that I was just like don't worry like you can test but I'm really great at managing my blood sugar levels because I've been doing it for years and it was a textbook pregnancy and we had a c-section delivery um you know with IVF you tend to cook bigger babies um Scarlett was eight pound five which actually wasn't kind of monstrous I was worried I was gonna get you know a rugby player but um the c-section was the right choice I had a really supportive consultant and a really really positive birth you know we went in checked in at 8 30 an hour and 25 minutes later she was born and it was the most kind of blissful day of my life I don't remember any pain I didn't need morphine I was just I was I was ready I was ready as once to get home done and it was an instant connection with her and she as you say is just um it's just such a a joyful little girl
0: and and you really love being her mom, don't you
1: yes yeah and um and it's not typical of my character you know um I'm not particularly nurturing if you speak to Nick when he's poorly he will testify to that I'm not a naturally um, caring individual but with her it felt very different and um, you know breastfed straight away no dramas around that and we fell very quickly into sleep routines and feeding routines and it just felt like you know I knew her and she knew me and we knew what we each needed and it was just a very kind of pure sense of love and for me kind of really opens up a maternal part of my personality that I wasn't aware was there you know I came very floaty you know I just me, we moved to Brighton when I was pregnant and I felt very much in that kind of like Brighton hippie kind of floating across the the beach with my baby just very um different and absolutely loved it and and one of the things that came out of that is that I knew I wasn't going to go back to um my old job so even though I'd left the toxic company there were elements that I wasn't sure about um in the company that I'd worked for when I went off on maternity leave and I just thought you know what just take a step back and and put her front and center and then the decisions can kind of fall out around work and things around spending time with her so um yeah it's been it's been brilliant
0: and she's given you pure contentment yeah doesn't she
1: yeah absolutely yeah I mean um I remember my mum saying when um we got pregnant you know you've had a really tough journey I think that you um you've banked some credit with the universe that you know you'll have an easy pregnancy you'll have a great baby it'll be you'll be fine I was just like yeah whatever and then um she was right obviously annoyingly um she was right and um yeah Scarlett's been just brilliant
0: she really has and i'm so happy for you both because uh, as i said at the start i i love you both as a couple and i really wanted um you to get that happy ending and you've sure you sure have with her she's um a wee babe um is there anything you'd wish you'd known back then when you were thinking or trying for a family and or any advice that you'd give to others in a similar boat to what you guys were at
1: yeah so it's, i think Realistically, practically speaking, I wish that I'd started meditating sooner. So in terms of being kind of like action-driven advice, I found that meditation really, really helped me with the issues of resentment, of bitterness, um, kind of took me out of my own chaos, out of my own head a bit. And so I would recommend to my younger self to do that sooner. Um, it's something I still try and lean onto now if I feel a bit kind of overwhelmed. And also I just wish that I'd trusted the process and trusted myself a bit because I felt if I look back on myself then, I was just so sad. And I wish that I'd not let it consume quite so much of my life and just kind of trusted in it. But then, you know, the power of hindsight and all that stuff. But I guess the piece of advice I give to people going through it is um, is to lean into things like this and podcasts and it's such an isolating journey and so many people have got you know experiences to share and advice to give and um, it's just to try not to feel so alone um, it can be really tough and you know I think about support groups for instance for people going through fertility struggles and how it wouldn't ever work because as and when people within that group fell pregnant they're out of the club and so, you wouldn't have that static group group of people that you could rely on, but that doesn't mean that there aren't resources available to make it feel less lonely and and that you don't have to be so sad. I think that's the um the big thing that I wish that I'd known
0: I think that's that's totally right, and that's why I'm so delighted that you came on to talk about your experiences because i knew you'd be very open and raw and honest and and say how it was and and we have to keep talking about it to help other people in what they're going through so they know that it can feel so isolating and you just feel you're in it and as you say so consumed with these thoughts of is it going to happen when's it going to happen and it takes over your life and it takes over the fun and you're not living you're just sort of existing because you you want this thing so much so That's why it's so important to share stories like yours and Nick's uh, of success that, you you know, you went on and you had a tough time, but you went on and you persevered and you you did all your research and and you you had the wonderful, happy ending, which everyone deserves. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today, Bex, to talk about all these things. And uh, I know it will help other people a lot. So thanks so much.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's been really lovely
0: thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the hopes and dreams podcast i really hope you found it helpful and indeed hopeful and do check out the show notes because there'll be some resources that we talked about in this episode in there and remember to follow us on instagram and twitter the hopes and dreams podcast thanks again and we'll see you again soon